All right, grab a Bible and open it up. It may take you a minute to find the first page, but that's the page you're going to. So page number one in your Bible. Uh, again, if you need a Bible, they're in the back. Uh, you know, about our church really fast, and, and there's information back there. You can get it if you want it, if you want to know more about who we are. But we have this large group gathering we do now. We do small groups, which typically meet in homes. And then we do discipleship in small groups of discipleship. I will go into detail about what those things are in the future. But um, just to say that now in that, number one, we're not having a small group tonight. So uh, those are going to relaunch here soon. But we just started this morning, uh, this morning thing a week ago. So we're going to do this for a few weeks and then we'll relaunch the small groups. Uh, so uh, with discipleship, I'll tell you more about that. You'll hear a lot about that. Some of you are already part of that, but that's where you're going to find answers. So you're going to come out of these things with questions, I can promise you. That's okay. That's good because God's word is in your hand, not me. So God's word has answers. But discipleship is where you're going to get help finding those. So I want to encourage you towards that. And, again, we'll talk more as we go. Website has information about those things. But I mentioned it last week. I'll mention it every week. There's going to be some verses on the screen, but not uh, the majority of them. In fact, today you're probably really going to want a Bible because we're going to cover a lot of ground really fast. And uh, it will make it easier for you just to read along from the Bible. If you don't have one, again, they're on the back table, free, take it with you, keep it, or grab your phone, uh, Bible.com. I don't even know, there's Bibles all over the phone. So you can get a Bible in about two seconds in this room and have one. So some will be up, but not all. Also encourage you to take notes because, hey, look, I, if you're like me, your memory is short. So make notes and then go back and look. Plus, I'm going to give you verses that you may want to go back and look up. I'll just tell you where they are, jot them down, and you can go back and look, all right? Um, so Genesis chapter one, we started working our way through scripture, uh, from cover to cover. It'll take us a while. That's okay. We're in no hurry. Story, we're following the story of God through his word. We're not going to cover every piece of, of every book, but we're going to move chronologically seeing God through the lens of his word. That's, that's what we're doing. Okay. So last week we talked about the God before creation. Now we're going to talk about creation being defined by its creator. Look at chapter one, verse 31 says, and God saw everything that he'd made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. Let me pray. Lord, your word is amazing, amazing. God, I, I, I pray that your word is heard above all of the things right now, uh, especially my mouth, because my mouth is definitely uh, a flawed mouth. I, I pray, Lord, that your word speaks to my heart, even as I speak your word publicly now and i pray that people would hear from you not from me i'm just a student like anybody else i got the privilege of holding this microphone but it's your word not mine i don't ever want to take it from that i want you to preach what you have to say i want you to teach what you have to say i want you to share what you have to share lord you're awesome thank you for entrusting all of us not just me but all of us with your word we ask it in christ's name amen um apollo 8 you may know the story. I've shared it before. And, and, and But Apollo 8 was the first manned mission to the moon. And in December, uh, Christmas Eve actually, 1968, uh, as they came around the moon, and they only orbited, but as they came around, they saw the earth rise. And there's a picture of it, uh, of, of 
And that's straight from NASA. So this is the picture they took. And you can actually Google this because the audio is still available online. I just didn't take the time to play it. But you can go back and listen to it because they did this on live television in 1968. And as the whole world listened, William Anders, the first of the astronauts on board the Apollo 8, said this. For all the people, Christmas Eve, for all the people on the Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message we would like to send you. He said, in the beginning... God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was, and he continued to just read. And then he handed it over to Jim Lovell, and he picks up at verse 3, and he says, And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and morning the first day. And God said, Let there be, and he carries on. Then he hands it over to Frank Borman, and Frank Borman picks up in verse 9, and he says, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place. And he carries on, and then he finishes, and he makes this statement, Borman adds, And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you, all of you, on the good earth. And you can go back, you can Google that, you can listen to it. It it gives me chills, it's just wild hearing that that's what they said when they were moved by what they saw. But I love the way he ends. All of you on the good earth. Now, I know some of you may have been there. I was not. But what is the world like in 1968? You know, I don't know if good is the word I would particularly use. Maybe. Uh, but you had sex, drugs, and rock and roll as the theme. You know, you had uh, war, you know, the Vietnam War, racial riots, all of that stuff was everywhere. We always remember the fun stuff, right? But but there was craziness going on in the world then. How can he say, what makes it good? How can he just say the good earth? Why does he call it that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because at that moment, at that moment, his vantage point was what God has done and not what man is doing. Understand that? Like at that point in time. It's not about what man's doing, it's about what God has done. So you always see a point on those sheets, and this is it. When we shape our lives around God's definition of good, when we shape our lives around that, it will change our worldview, and it will empower us to effectively share the love of Christ and the hope of the gospel, all right? So that, that's on the sheet. That's where we're going. We're going to look at two things today. It's not really an outline, but two things. We're first going to look at creation, and I'm going to go quick. So you're going to make notes because we got to cover a lot, but that's okay. Uh, for one, this is videoed, so you can go back and look at it if you want. But for two, it's God's word, not mine. So it's okay. Go read it again. But we're going to cover quickly creation, and then we're going to look at what does it mean to be defined by our creator, to be called good. What does that, what exactly does that mean? So that's, that's where we're headed. That's the practical. What does it mean to be called good? So first, quick overview, and we'll jump in. So we start within the beginning, Okay. And then we move to day one. All right, on day one, you have day and night that are created. This is going to stay up in a minute, so you'll be able to follow along with an image. It's helpful, believe me. Day two, he creates the sky, ozone, clouds, atmosphere. He separates uh, that. And day three, you have dry land. So you have the seas and lakes as well, plants, that kind of stuff. On day four, the stars, sun, moon, or a calendar. Seasons, maps. Day five, you have sky animals, water animals. Day six, you have land animals. And you have man 
who's going to rule it all. And on day seven, which is not up there because he didn't actually create, what did he do on day seven? Rested, exactly. So he rests on day seven. Also, there's a purpose in the design. So I'll show you this for just a quick second. Some put these together, and I agree with it. But you have day one where he's going to open the sky and allow for the measure of time and season. And then that's pushed against day four where he fulfills or fills that sky with stars and sun. And that's their purpose. Uh, he has on day two, the seas and the skies are going to be for life to dwell in, and then he puts life in them on day five, birds and fish. Uh, day three, you have land that's going to be for life to dwell on, and plants, and then he puts those things there on day six. So let's go back to the visual first, and let's leave it up there for a minute um, as we kind of walk through this. So first you had in the beginning. Now we talked about this a little bit last week when we talked about the God before beginning. So, But look in verse 1, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So two main points of view at this stage. Okay, One is that all of chapter 1 is detailing the events of, chap- of verse 1 and 2. So what verse 1 and 2 read kind of like a heading, and then so goes the way it happened. The other point of view is that he created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. He did that in eons past. Uh, and then somewhere in there, Satan has his fall. You can look at Ezekiel chapter 28 in your own time. It describes how Satan fell. So that that occurs. And then as a result of that fall, in, that fall happening, earth becomes the place described in verse 2. Darkness, void, flooded, deep. And the focuses of the, ver- the verses that come after that are about God creating an environment, all right, this specific location on earth called Eden, where he plants a garden, all right? So, for instance, that point of view would say that the earth, that when he says, let there be light, that he didn't create light at that point, that light was already created in the beginning when he did heavens and the earth. He just reveals it at that point in time. Causes it to be revealed. He pushes back the darkness. But either way, what God is doing is he's creating an environment. He's creating an environment for someone. Man. Because it comes to that day six and that's what he does. He repeatedly says it's good. What he's saying, it's it's pleasing. It's a good habitat. It's going to work well. It's good for man. So day one, uh, it says... Verse 3 here, he creates day and night, says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light uh, day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. So some say, well, that light, because he doesn't mention the sun until day 4. So some say that light is a supernatural light. It's 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 God's glory shining, or it's... It's Jesus, perhaps, himself. Jesus is referred to as the light of the world. Jesus is referred to himself as light multiple times. Satan is accused of pretending to be an angel of light. Um, Jesus uh, described hell as outer darkness. So there is a definite argument for that in Revelation 21 and 22, the way the story ends. Uh, there is still the sun present, but the sun's not necessary, it says, because Jesus is the light at that point. 
So what exactly that looks like, I don't know, but the word says that's the way it's going to work. So maybe that's the way it started. The other thought is, again, that the sun was already created. In the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. So the sun was there just as we know it is today. And there's a good argument for that because he calls the light day and he calls the dark night. And those are the same words we use today to describe those things. And God states that there's evening and morning. Same words we use today. And he says, for the first day. Same way we measure a day. 24-hour period of evening and morning. So all the words he uses are the same words that we use thousands of years later to describe a 24-hour period of the sun coming around the earth. Okay, So there's a pretty good argument that it's still the sun. But what he's, I think he's doing here is he's establishing time. He's establishing a sense of of time at this point. The term day is being coined. That's what, what's happening. He's defining the word day, but he's not actually giving us a good way to measure an evening and a morning yet. He's just defining that there's light and there's evening and morning. We don't have a great measuring tool for it yet, but we're gonna. So we ain't got it yet, but it's coming. So day two, he creates skies and clouds. Look at verse six. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under this expanse from the waters that were above this expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven or sky. We talked about this last week. There's three ways the word heaven is used, the place where God lives, outer space, and the sky. And we use it the same way. We use heavens the same way. Uh, So in this case, he's talking about sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. So what's the water below the sky? Lakes, rivers, you know, that kind of stuff. What's the water above the sky or sea, ocean, whatever? What's the waters above the sky? That would be like the clouds, the water that's in the air that materializes in the clouds, basically moisture in the air. So together what he's creating is an atmosphere. He's putting a nose on there in a sense. He's holding down oxygen. He's creating a place where people can live. He is creating a climate a weather cycle, a perfectly designed condition for those who are going to specifically live within it. Now, I know it's not perfect now, but that's not his fault, right? We changed that when we fell. But when it was designed, it was designed perfectly. So, verse 9, he goes into the dry land and the seas and the lakes here in the plants. He says, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. That doesn't mean we're going to pull all the water into one place. It means specific places. The water is not just rampant everywhere on the earth. It's gathered now into, into individual places. So it, each place where the water is gathered now becomes what we would call an ocean or a sea or a River or something like that. Well, what does it call, what does it take to separate water? Objects. So that the objects are land. Let the dry land appear. The land was already there on the rock. He just pulls it up, pushes the, pushes the uh, waters back. And it was so. God called the day, excuse me, the dry land earth or land. And the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth The land, sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit bearing trees in the, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth or the land. And it was so. The earth 
Or the land brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which their seed, each according to his kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, now the third day. So there's been a transition here to life, each according to his kind. Uh, we transition over to plants. It's interesting, by the way, side note, that life appears on the third day. If you know the story of Jesus in the resurrection, which day did he come to life on? Just saying. So you have according. He makes these two phrases according to its kind and has seed. What's the point of having a seed? Fruit and reproduction, right? So these things are going to reproduce according to his kind. That's very specific. That doesn't mean that it's one of a kind, but it has a particular kind that it's assigned to. Palm tree is a palm tree. We got different kinds of palm trees here, right? They look different. We have one in our yard. Molly wants the other one, of course. The other one besides the one that's in our yard. So, but there, there's different kinds, but it's still a palm tree. It's not an oak tree. It's a palm tree. It's not going to change into an oak tree. It's still always going to be a palm tree. And every seed that comes out of that palm tree is going to be another palm tree. All right? Um, but people will argue sometimes, well, how are there plants? Like it's day three. hasn't made the sun yet. Well, two things there. Number one, perhaps he has. We already talked about that. Maybe he did. The sun was actually there. And he's just pushing back the darkness to reveal the sun now. Or, uh, even if not, even if he hasn't created the sun until the fourth day, can plants make it overnight? You know, do it all the time. Okay? So it's okay that even if there were plants on the third day and he doesn't put the sun in place till the fourth day, it's only overnight they'll live. Okay, they'll be okay. Um, day four, next day, verse 14. And God said, let there be lights. Or let, literally it means let light appear. Let, let light appear. Let light be seen in the expanse of the heavens. Two, this is the point. He didn't just stop there. He says two. There's a purpose for them. To separate day from night and let them be four. So he's clarifying. Well, let me explain what I mean by that. Let me explain what I mean. They are four signs and seasons and days and years. Again, let them be seen or appear, these lights in the expanse of heaven, to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made. Now, this word made is different. We talked last week about how it said, in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth, or God created the heavens and the earth. That word, create or make, is bara. It's, it, it's to pull something out of nothing. It's something that only God does. Only God does. This word, God made, is a different word, asa. It means to arrange. Like you might tell your kid, hey, go make up your bed. And you go look and you're like, okay, the bed's made. Or go make up the house. And you go clean up the house. So it's a slightly different word. Am I saying he didn't make the heavens and the earth here? No, I'm not saying that. Uh, I, I'm only pointing out that this word is slightly different. It's talking more about arranging. It's almost like he's assigning an arrangement to the sun, moon, and stars here. All right? And he says, the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them or fixed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. They have a purpose. To rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So again, some say he's already created the sun. He called a day, an evening and a morning. But now, 
On day four, we can measure what that means. Either way, it means when the earth, when the sun, the big light circles around and the little light, the moon comes back around. Now we can measure what an evening and a morning is. Now these lights are ordained or they're fixed to be seen in the sky across day and night. For us in our world, with all the lights in this city and and all that kind of stuff, it's hard to really experience the dark. But if you get out into the desert, you don't have to go far in Arizona, but you get out into the desert, and what does the what does the sky look like? Just blown up with stars, you know, blown up with stars, and the moon looks so big, like you can touch it. Uh, if you've ever been at in the ocean, how do they navigate the ocean? I mean, it's, there's no landmarks, right? Where's the only landmarks in the open ocean? It's the sky, right? So he's created a way to be able to map, to be able to know where you are, to be able to know which direction you're going, to explore the land, the earth that he's created, and be able to map where you're going so you can get back or so you can discover new things or so that you can count the time, uh, you know, and, and measure that. Now, for us, that's a big deal. Like, we... We think that's not, but it really is a big deal. In fact, I've got uh, one of the guys in my discipleship groups always asking about when the end of the world's coming, and, you know, when's Jesus coming back, and that's a good thing. Like, I'm not, I'm giggling because it's funny, but it's a passion of all of our hearts. We all want to know that. Well, that's counting time, right? When's the time that he's going to come back? So anyway, he, the New Living Translation actually conveys this really well. It says it this way. Then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that's what happened. I like that. They have been given a function and a purpose now and seen from uh, below in the sky above. So last couple here really quickly. Verse 20 we got day five. He creates the animals and the water animals and the sky animals. He says, God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures or wild animals. Let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of heavens. So God created the great sea creatures. Uh, monsters is another word for that. And talking about in size. And every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds. Keeping that same thread. Every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth or the land. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. I love verse 22. Look back at verse 22 right there. God never blessed the plants. Or communicated with the plants. He said they were good, but he didn't do that. He he just said, let the land produce them. But here, he never blessed the stars either. But here, he's putting a blessing on them. For the first time, he speaks directly to his creation as well. First people to be addressed by God are the birds and the fish. You know, you think that's weird? That's okay. <laughs> but that's what happened, right? That's what happened. The first people he addresses, I say people, obviously they're not people, but you know what I'm saying. The first living here, because we say plants are alive, yes, but these are a step beyond because he speaks to them. He actually speaks to them. God interacts with them and he blesses them with a mission. What's their mission? 
Yeah, that's right. Multiply. Bear fruit. Yeah, multiply. That's their fruit. Fill the earth. Sound like a good vision for me. Verse uh, 24, land, animals, and man. God said, let the earth, or the land, bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock, that would be like domesticatable, cattle, pigs, that kind of thing. Uh, pets, maybe. Creeping things, we know what those are, especially in Arizona. Beasts of the earth, that would be like wild animals, lions, bears, wolves, according to their kinds. And it was so, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kind, and everything that keeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. It's arguable that no animals were threatening man at this point in time. Um, very, very strongly arguable point, because this is prior to the fall. So... Uh, it's not just that all animals were domesticated. So what Moses is probably doing, because Moses wrote this, so Moses is probably telling them that even the wild animals now in our world, even they were subject to God and created by God even in the beginning. So he, he's making a differentiation because to us now they're all, they are different, all right? Um, even the ones that were dangerous because of the fall, he's saying that they are still not outside of God's creation. It's real easy for us to look at, like I look at a shark right now and wonder why in the world. You know what I'm saying? Like that did not come from God. You know what I'm saying? But it did. So, uh, in fact, he said sea monsters. He said it. So, uh, but he notes again, according to their kind. So a mouse, a rat, a gerbil, it's a rodent. All right. You know, a, a, a dog, a wolf, a coyote, it's a canine. All right. It, it might look different in different ways. But it's a rodent is never going to be a canine. A canine is never going to be a rodent. They're created according to their kinds. It says it, you know, right there. Also notice, side note, that animals were created, land animals were created the same day that man was. So there's no time for evolution. I'm not, I don't have time to go down that whole discussion right now. But biblically speaking, it gives you no room for it because they're created on the same day. Same 24-hour period, okay? Um Verse 27. Now, we're going to talk about man next week, but verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. We'll come back to that next week, so I'm not going into it now. And then verse 31, God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening and morning the sixth day. Now, I'm going to grab day seven real fast, um, just because it's day seven. Look at verse one of chapter two, just a couple of verses. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he'd done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now that verse, or that section right there, is pivotal to one thirty-one, chapter 1, verse 31. The seventh day and that are linked. They're not, in us, we, cha- we got a different chapter, but there's no separation in chapters in the original language. They work right together. God saw everything that he'd made. It was very good. So what did he do? Paused to enjoy it. He, he, he paused to enjoy the moment, to see the work. Why? Because it's very good. He even said very on that one. So it's like very good. So he paused to check. He's not taking a break. Oh, man, God wore himself out. So he had to take a day off. No, that's not the case. It's not about that. It's about a musical rest. 
If you've been in music at all, you know what I'm talking about. If not, uh, music builds these crescendos and volume and it gets louder or faster or whatever. And then there are moments where sections of the orchestra or the whole thing might just stop. And then start talking again. You see how that like it, it catches you, it jars you, it moves you or something. So there's a sense that what he did is he's built all this up and he's like, man, it's good. And then he pauses a minute to like, yeah, let me look back at that a minute. You know what I'm saying? Wow, that was awesome. Let me look back at that for a second. Before I go into the next day, let me just take a second and look back at, at what all happened. And that's what we, the Sabbath, that's what the Sabbath is for. It's not about keeping a law, it was once upon a time, it's not about keeping a law. And even then, it was a law that was assigned to make you do that. To pause, to stop from what all you've done the past week. Pause and take a minute to worship what God has done. To rest and trust that God's going to provide before you roll into the next week. How about that? I'm going to fling notes at all of you before you roll. Um, but that's the point of it all. So, he's not taking a break. He's just admiring what he's done. He's anticipating what's ahead. So that moves us to it's good. So that's the creation. I know I left a lot out and I know I went really fast, but that's a lot to cover in a very short period of time. This is a good reason for you to be in discipleship because people can walk through it and dig deep with it. All right. If you ever want to talk to me more about it, you can, by the way. I am not the guy on stage. I'm just a dude. But I would be happy to talk in more detail about those things and anything else we come across as we go through. But I want to get into it being good for just a few minutes because that's the practical. Otherwise, this is just a bunch of theology we're talking about. And that's great. And that's helpful. But it's not going to steer your life necessarily. So how do we take this whole creation episode and bring it into something that we can use? Well, he said it was good. Verse 9, he says it's good. Verse uh, 4, excuse me, he says it's good. Verse 9, he says it's good. Verse 12, he says it's good. Verse 18, verse 21, verse 25, verse 31, he keeps repeating how it's good. There's a famous quote from C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. If you know the uh, quote, you may even know the quote, but there's a stage in there where Lucy, uh, this little girl, is having this conversation with Mr. Beaver, and... Uh, they're talking about Aslan, who is the lion that represents Christ in the story. And the beaver says, Aslan is a lion. He's the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall rather, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king. How can something not safe be called good? How can someone not safe be called good? I mean, let's be honest. He called sea monsters good. I wrestle with that every time Jaws comes back on. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Different story. But he did. He, He made... Everything that he made, he called good. This is the first, this is cool. This is the first basis we have for the definition of the word good. 
So this is creation, and the first time the word good appears in your Bible is in creation. You could arguably say the first time the word good has ever existed was when God defined something as good in the very beginning. He's not seeing that it's good, like, oh, I perceive that that's good. He is defining the word good in relation to what he made. You follow what I'm saying there? He's defining the word good in relation to what he made. Well, what does that tell us about him? Well, it tells me one thing. He makes good things. You know? That's important because I'm one of those things. And I don't feel good a lot of the time. Just be honest with you. I know I'm not good a lot of the times. But he says I am. He makes good things. It also tells me that the marker of what is good is something he makes. So therefore we can know that he's good and he's perfect. And he always, even Jesus uses the word good to hint at himself as being creator. In Mark 10 verse 17, it says, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Nobody's good except God. He's being a bit shady with this guy is what he's doing. He's calling himself. He's saying, are you calling me God? Because you'd be right. That's what he's saying. Now, he goes on. I'm not, I'm not trying to preach that text. But even Jesus himself aligns the fact of being God with the word good. It's a big, big word. And thousands of years later, we still struggle with trying to Define or express what it means to be good or to look at God's creation and and pull the goodness out of it. Psalms is full of authors attempting to write stories and poetry to express that. Proverbs is full of wise sayings trying to express the goodness of God in his creation. There's countless, countless books of the Bible and outside the Bible, countless books trying to express. It. And they all just fall inadequate. It's just there's no way to. Just accurately express the good of God in his creation. Science, constantly rediscovering and proving how good he is. Discovering whole planets. And then finding things so tiny that the greatest microscopes don't, can't believe we can get smaller. You know, his creation is mind-blowing. And, and um, what it shows us all is that he authors all things. And his definition, his definition is what matters. It's not us up to us to decide. It's not up to us to decide or to define things. And when we do define things our way, it doesn't change his definition. It just brings consequences on us. In fact, that's what Adam and Eve did. We'll decide for ourselves what's good and evil. That's what happened. We'll come to that later. But it's like saying toxic waste is good. You can say that if you want, but don't eat it. You know, I mean, you you can say it all day long, but all that's going to do is cause you to inherit the consequences or marriage. That's another popular topic. God defined that in the beginning and we can redefine it all we want, but that won't change God's definition of it. You know, God defines all he creates as good from the ozone to marriage it, it to the sea monsters. It's all good because he made it. So in the beginning, there was no threat to mankind. All things at the beginning were created good. 
Um, death entered the world through Adam. You can see that in your Bible. You'll see that in uh, everywhere from the New Testament to the Old Testament. Paul spent a lot of time in Romans trying to pr- make that point, that death entered the world through one man's sin, Adam. So all death and all of that came through Adam's choice, and the nature of God's creation changed. Changed. Animals became vicious, uh, aloof, afraid of man. Man became vicious. Uh, new nature to things, but that's why God promises a new nature. That's why God promises a new creation. We talked about it last week. That's why Jesus said, Behold, I make all things new. A new nature for for all, not just us. It's a return to the garden. You have a garden in Genesis chapter 2. We'll get to it. You have a garden in Revelation chapter 22. It's a restoration of his creation back to a good thing. All of it. It doesn't just say mankind, the lion, and the lamb, right? The the child will play with a cobra, Isaiah says. Giving some of y'all nightmares probably, but that's what it says. So let me close it up. When we shape our lives, again, I'm going to say it again. When we shape our lives around God's definition of good, it changes our worldview and it empowers us to effectively share the gospel and love of Christ. So maybe you're like most people. You find it hard to call anything in this present day good. I know it's been tough years between COVID, between politicians and politics, between wars starting and wars ending and everything else that's divided, not just our nation, but the world. But let me show you what I mean. I'm going to give you two verses. Nehemiah 9, verse 6. You are the Lord. You alone. You made heaven, the heaven of heavens, and everything in them. The earth and all that's on it. The seas and all that's in them. And you preserve all of them. And the hosts of heaven worship you. Man, is that a great verse. Man, is that a great verse. And for me, that, that, that brings one response. Psalm 8, verse 3. When I look at your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place. What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him, that you care for him, that you care for him. Man, is that powerful. He didn't just make it and spin it. He cares. When we consider his creation like that, astronauts of Apollo 8 did. And we look back into God's word, it should remind us that God is good. And he designed this world for our good. It should cause us to worship, to pause, to celebrate what he has done and anticipate what he's going to do. Because whatever he's going to do is going to be good. It's going to be good. And it should empower us to share the gospel because this earth is not the horrible, nasty, terrible place that he created. Uh, the corrupt politicians, the sex slaves, the war, all those things. That's not what this world is designed for, nor is it what this world is headed for. It's not hopeless. He created it perfect, and he's making it perfect. And one day, it will be perfect. 
And I pray you guys are part of that. Now listen, if you're here today and it's never occurred to you that he might actually have designed your life, maybe that's never crossed your mind. Maybe never even thought for a minute that I might actually be designed. Or if I am designed, uh, am I, I'm, I'm no accident. Like there was a purpose in that design. But would God call you good? The Bible says no. Paul said, in me dwells no good thing. But, but he provided a solution. But he provided a solution. He sent his only son who is perfect, who created all things. We talked about that last week. Who lived perfectly, who was good in every sense, who faced a cross and died, one that is the wages of your sin and my sin, not his. The Bible says, Paul says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so we become the righteousness of God. And then he conquered a grave designed for you and me that we will never beat, ever, and don't deserve to beat. But he beat it. He conquered it that by faith we are made new as well. We are made new. Simple, simple, simple process. Putting your faith in him. Can you admit who you are? Can you say, hey, you don't got to tell me. I know, I know I'm a sinner. I know I struggle. I know I fail. You don't have to tell me. Can you do that? Can, can, you, can you confess it? Like, I mean, yeah, that's who I am. I know it. You know? Can you trust he is who he says he is? Look, I don't know how he made the world, but I believe he did. I don't know how all this is working out, but I believe it happened. I believe he is the good person that his word says he is. I don't get it all, but I trust it. Can you do that? And then lastly, can you admit that you'll never be good enough, but he is. That what he did was good enough. That God is pleased with what Christ did and trust him. Can you do that? If you can't tell him, you ain't got to tell me. Tell him. I can't save you. He does. Tell him however you want to tell him. And then if you want to come hang out with us, come hang out with us and tell us. We want to encourage you and help you find discipleship. Let me pray. Lord, you are an amazing, awesome God. I thank you for today. I know it's a little long, but that's a lot of text to cover. And I love that there's so much we left uh, unsaid because it's your word. And we get to spend our whole entire life being blown away by it every time we read it. I pray, God, each time we go back to this text that it, it takes us our breath away. That you are an amazing good God and everything you've created is uh, good. I pray, Lord, that you continue to destroy the work of sin in our lives. That you help us be faithful to you and glorify you with what we say and what we do. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.